passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their Have you gotten Ronald yet? Good morning. Afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, Tennessee undefeated time, 2-0 time. Probably have to be 3-0 after this week time. Zippity zip 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 time. Zippity doodah, zippity day. My, they're bad at football today. Time, whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a beautiful sun-drenched, sun-soaked Sunday afternoon, or Thursday afternoon. I don't know why I said Sunday. Thursday afternoon here in God's Zone, Knoxville, Tennessee. Fort Rucker Studio, just a couple miles away from Neyland Stadium. We're on Saturday night, 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Don't even ask us how you do that if you don't know how to do that. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't be watching the game. But Tennessee will be playing 7 p.m. Eastern against Akron. So there's there's not a lot of Akron to talk about. So uh, I'm going to go over to that home daycare center, get to Ryan Callahan, go to uh, that undisclosed location and get to Patrick Brown where we will find some other things to discuss that most likely are not Akron-related. Fellas, how are we doing today? Well, with all due respect to the Zips, Wes, I think that was the Akron of, of podcast intros there. Wasn't it? Between, <laughs> wow. <laughs> between between the zippity doo and the not knowing what day it was. Yeah, but we have to we have help, to leave it. We have to leave it though. And the not helping people figure out how the game is yeah. you can watch the game. I don't know. We're off to we're off to a rough start. Off to a rollicking <laughs> start. Yeah. This we, uh, we 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 beat we survived St. Francis in overtime, then lost fifty to nothing in Michigan State. Yeah. But here we go. That, it's a new week. It's it's that it's that kind of, been that kind of week. Our our uh, our, our childcare provider has been sick for like three days, so I've had Hank for for the past you know few days during the day, and he woke up on Thursday morning and was like, "I'm going to be the worst kid who has ever existed." So uh, th- this is bleary eyed, tired, uh, dad mode West today. We're right there with you with uh, with sick kids at home this week uh, ourselves. But uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, aside from that, I will I will throw this in, even though this game Saturday maybe doesn't warrant a whole lot of discussion in this podcast in particular. Shout out to Tennessee fans for being fired up about this team or, or maybe some discounted tickets or something because there's going to be a crowd of over 100,000 at this game Saturday night, and I can't believe that. Um, so props to Tennessee for selling some tickets and Danny White and the staff for uh, for discounting. Uh, I know they were selling $20 upper deck seats for a while there, so that's uh, that's obviously helped. But, hey, people are naturally excited about this team. Maybe, maybe it's as simple as that and having a night game, but – 
Uh, they announced uh, what Tuesday that less than hundred, less than a thousand tickets were left, and so this might this might sell out by Saturday. That's impressive. And, and, and maybe people just want to fork out twenty bucks a ticket instead of trying to figure out how to figure out how to watch uh, ESPN Plus or that, yes, Network Plus, whatever it's called. Here That's, you have to have you have to have the ESPN app on your tablet or your smart TV. You go there, you can find the game there, and you can if you have ESPN Plus, you can watch it through that. That's something you have to pay for. Or if you have a TV or streaming subscription, whether it be DirecTV, uh, what's the big one around? Xfinity, YouTube TV, Hulu, whatever. If you have, if the way you watch TV has the SEC network, you'll just have to log in with those credentials to watch the game. Yes. If you're not going. And I am already dreading how many questions we're going to have to ask or answer over the next 72 hours or so about this uh, just just google search how to watch tennessee akron and you will find our story that we will have saturday morning detailing how to find grant, it yes grant ramey will, will explain it to you grant ramey's leading the way that means we're all doomed yeah let, yep. let, let grant let grant handle all your questions on that that would be uh twitter.com slash grant ramey uh, also, grant.ramey at uh, cbsinteractive.com. Uh, I'll give, if you send me a message, I'll give you his cell phone number. You can call him that way. Uh, we will make sure that, that Grant <laughs> will get that information to you. But, fellas, in all seriousness, um, we're doing a mailbag edition of the podcast today because, with all due respect to Akron and, and first year coach Joe Moorhead, former Mississippi State head football coach, um, Akron's bad. Uh, th- this is the first time that we can find in forever that Tennessee, at least at some point during the week, has been a 50-point favorite. I don't think it is right now, but has been a, at earlier times in this week in some books a 50-point favorite. We've, uh, I think Ramey told us he'd gone back to at least 97 and hadn't found that. So that, that tells you what's, what, what, what sort of game this might be. Uh, Akron, uh, the, as Pat said, the zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day, because remember that was Pat on the intro. He, uh, <laughs> I, I believe that... They lost fifty-two to nothing to Michigan State last week. And Michigan State's a, a solid football team, but um, it's fifty-two nothing, and I'm guessing it could have been worse if Sparty had wanted it to be that way. So fifty-two nothing after three quarters. Yes. Yeah. So and then I imagine played walk-ons and all that. So we decided to go ahead and do a mailbag edition. We put a thread up on the board on GoVols twenty-four-seven's checkerboard uh, earlier today. Also, might get to a couple from the Twitter machine before we're done. So. I think we should probably just go ahead and get right into the questions. Y'all got anything else or, or just go to the questions? Questions. Let's do it. Yep. We will get to first one, Blake, 11367, Blake Digits, who asked a question that it's first uh, on this list and, and first in the minds of probably a lot of Tennessee football fans right now. Will we see anyone start at any point other than number two and number four on defense, even if those two stay healthy? That would obviously be uh, Jalen McCullough, Tank McCullough, and uh, and Warren Burrell. I will say uh, yes. I would and go I will, no. If I don't go know, ahead, I, I I was gonna say I, I I will just say yes and leave it at that. I I think at some point yes, and I think it might be McCullough. He's very very respected in the program, but uh, and the players love him, the coaches love him, but at some point someone's going to have to step up and he's going to have to play better or they're going to have to find someone who can, you know, take better angles on some stuff and, and do those things. And with Burrell, 
I, I'm not sure. I think he might start at Tennessee when he's 37 years old. I, I don't know what it's going to take. Um, but again, great kid. Everybody in the program loves him. But at some point, if if you know you know Christian Charles grows up a little bit and learns the position, or Brandon Turnage the light bulb comes on, or or something, you know, obviously with you know uh, D Williams coming back, that could be a be a factor. I, I just think at some point you would have to lean in that direction, but I'm not sure they're gonna. No, well, my actually, answer uh, before Ryan cut me off. My answer is is no. Sure. It's gonna it's gonna take an injury for for one of those guys to to be replaced. That's just how much trust that Willie Martinez has with those guys. He's gonna ride with those guys, um, and, and it, it probably for me it's gonna take an injury for anybody to to start over those guys. And don't anybody out there wish for an injury because that makes you a bad person. I don't want to tell you how to feel or think. <laughs> don't do that. I think yes. it's fair to tell someone not to hope someone gets hurt. I think. Right. And so, um, but, uh, I mean, it is what it is. I guess Tennessee doesn't have a backup quarterback that, that fans can fixate on. Uh, although Joe Milton still has plenty of, uh, uh, there's plenty of takes about him out there. Yes, there are. Um, so I guess, I guess they've, we've, we've transitioned to the backup safety and the other cornerbacks who aren't playing are, are automatic. You know, they're just upgrades who aren't getting the chance to show that yet. So. Yeah, I don't think the coaches are actively out there trying to play players that they think are worse in order to lose games. The, the problem, I think, is still just that those guys are just average at best. It kind of is what it is, but they think those guys are going to perform better than the younger, maybe more athletic players behind them. So I, I don't yep. know what the answer is there other than these coaches are paid a lot of money. Their jobs are on the line, obviously, every week in the current in the current uh, climate. And I think they just they want to play who they think is going to give them the best chance to win, and that's who they think is going to give them the best chance to win. Yeah, I, I do think the staff has a lot of trust in those two guys. So I, you know, regardless of the of the situation, uh, I, I think they are are they're they're going to be hard pressed to make a change there just willingly. But I will say that by the end of the year. For one reason or another, you will see somebody in there who's different, whether that's moving a you know a Wesley Walker around or trying someone else at corner. You know, I, I think you'll I think you'll see something eventually there. I just don't know you know what the situation might be, but no doubt there is a lot of trust there with that coaching staff with those two guys in particular and Trayvon Flowers. Not as much angst about Flowers because I think people see him make some plays. Yeah. Or they don't see the lack of athleticism as an issue like they do for McCullough sometimes, but. I, I just think all three of those guys, the staff has has a lot of belief in, so it'll take a lot. But I think I think at some point this year we see something different for one reason or another. Next question, ninety eight. Now uh, we all saw the Scott Frost news at Nebraska. Who's the next head coach to get the axe? Uh, my juicy pick is uh, in College Station, uh, Jimbo Fisher. That would cost a lot of money, man. <laughs> um, because AM haven't hasn't looked great, lost to Appalachian State. Their next two games are Miami and then Arkansas. What happens if they're one and three? Then Alabama comes in. Or you know, I think they might have a game between that, anyways. Um, but I will go with Eli Drinkwitz, who just got skunked by K State 40 to 12. Yeah, he's inching up the list, didn't he? I mean, everyone imagined that. You know, the the nasty situation at Auburn, and I still think that's probably the clubhouse leader for now, just cause. But Drinkwitz, that's Drinkwitz, too obvious for me. That's too obvious for me to pick. But, so I went somewhere else. Drinkwitz is 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 working his way up that list. I think if 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 Mizzou cares, which you never really know how much Mizzou cares, but if Mizzou cares, that's something that is is heading there, in a bad direction. There's also Auburn. Like 
they just they do Auburn things. Like they'll luck into a game. They'll like beat Penn State on like a you know blocked field goal that goes through the uprights or some crap because that's what Auburn does. Yeah, so. or, or like a blocked extra point that is returned like to the <laughs> other two yard line, but then that person fumbles, so then Auburn picks it back up and runs at ninety eight yards for a touchdown. That or something like that. That 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 would be an Auburn thing. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Something, you know, there, or like a one-point safety or something ridiculous. <laughs> there, there's probably like a bad ACC team or something that I'm not thinking about right now. So outside the conference, there's probably a possibility out there. But I, I, I like the Drinkwitz pick. I, I, I did think going into the year that if the projections held the way people thought that we were, you know, while there wasn't an obvious candidate for like a mid-season firing or anything like that in the SEC, if it wasn't Auburn, uh, I, I did think Missouri had a chance to at least get pretty shaky going into next year, if nothing else, because, yeah, all the projections had Missouri sixth in the East ahead of only Vanderbilt. And if that's the case in year, what, three now under Drinkwitz? If that's the case in year three, you know, you're you're looking at five and seven, probably something like that as, the, as your final record, depending on how things shake out. And that's that's not what people want to see going into to year well, four. So that, that'll at least put him on the hot seat next year. I agree. Well, looking at Missouri's schedule, they, they have Abilene Christian this week, but their next uh, was it six games at Auburn, Georgia at home, at Florida, Bandy, at South Carolina, Kentucky, and at Tennessee. Mm. I see one win in there, maybe. That's it basically comes down to whether South Carolina falls <laughs> enough for Missouri to sneak up and so, have a chance against them. So you're looking at three and seven, then closing out with the Mexico State and Arkansas. So what four and eight is is what they're looking at, maybe. And yeah, if you get to four and eight, that's where that's where you could be talking about a change this year. I think if you're that bad year three, people are going to be asking, where, "Where's the upside here?" Next question. Uh, here's this is a good one too. This is a, a question from a, a, a Tardis to ninety eight, I believe is his uh, name. I don't want to. Uh, it's always tough to pronounce some of these names, but that's what it says on there. His question is a good one. The talk about Jabari Small was really big, and anyone who watched practice raved about him in preseason camp. Any thoughts on why he hasn't looked great so far through two games? I, I thought he looked fine against Ball State. Uh, I will say nobody with associated with Tennessee's run game, outside of maybe Hendon Hooker, looked good uh, against Pitt because that's what Pitt does. Pitt is very good run, uh, against uh, stopping the run. I know oh, West Virginia ran on him. Sometimes stuff happens, all right? That was the most yards Pitt had given up since 2019. Um, and they, you know, Tennessee couldn't couldn't run the ball with anybody. I, so, thought, I thought Wright looked pretty good until he fumbled. Wright did look good, right? I, I think Wright outplayed Jabari Small against Pitt. Um, but I, I thought Small looked fine in the opener. We'll see what he does uh, against Akron moving forward. But, um, but yeah. I was going to say, if you paid close attention last year, to me, he looked about like the Jabari Small the past two games that you saw last year. Good against teams that don't present a, a great run defense and against the teams that can defend the run well. He's going to maybe not disappear at times, but the production's not really going to be there. And I think part of that is he's not, he, to this point in his career, he's not been good enough at breaking tackles or making people miss in open field. Yeah. Um, I think he's he's got to find a way to, to get more yards after contact to make people miss somehow. Um, that's That's been kind of the knock on all of Tennessee's running backs to a degree. And I think, you know, Jalen Wright, good, good point on that, Wes. I think aside from the fumbles, which that's a big asterisk in coaches' minds, uh, but aside from that, he's looked pretty good, I think, in Tennessee's first couple games. He's at least given you he's some ex- dynamics He's really there. explosive. He's really explosive yeah. when he gets the ball in his hands. And I think Jabari Small, there's a lot of – when you watch him on film, there's a lot of times where – 
like any other running back, I mean, there's plays where Derrick Henry can't do anything. Like, there's plays yeah. where you get swallowed up before you can get going, and there's nothing you can do about it. But with small, there are so many times where you're watching film and you're like, oh, just dude, this offense is so spread out. If you just make that one guy miss, you're walking oh. for 30 yards. But you just, he's got to make. He makes some moves sometimes. They're like, "Wow, that was a really good move." But then there's other times where he just doesn't get away from the guy, and you're like, oh, "You gotta, you gotta, you gotta up that percentage a little bit. You gotta get away from a few more." I think. Well, there was a play late in the fourth quarter at Pitt where there was a huge hole for him to run through, and if he runs through it, it's at least ten. I mean, Tennessee's getting close to the edge of field goal range at that point, uh, and Habakkuk Baldonado, who's one of Pitt's best players, just reaches out, kind of clotheslines him. Mm-hmm. I mean. I, I look at that and I say that's a great play by a defensive player. He's you know, a good the other player. teams are he's allowed a, to take a, plays too. Yeah, he's a good so, player. He's a good player. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I do. I, I think you could make the case that Wright has looked better in the first two games. He has. He is the leading rusher. I think with uh, 135 yards. I don't. I don't think Small is is. I don't know if he's over 100 for the season yet. So. Yeah. Um. But. But yeah. No. I mean. I, I, go ahead, Ryan. I was gonna say this. This is why, if I'm Tennessee, and this they they looked in the off season, but if I'm Tennessee, I'm I'm taking a hard look at the transfer portal this off season. I just think that's a position where they've still got to continue to upgrade their talent. I'm shocked Dylan Sampson didn't play last week, though. I really am. I I know pass protection's a concern. That's got to be a consideration uh, for any freshman running back. But even if it's five snaps a game and you're giving the ball on four of those snaps, I'm getting Dylan Sampson worked into the mix because he can at least give you some speed, some 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 ability to make someone miss an open field there that, that maybe you don't quite have with those other two quite as much, even though, like you said, Jalen Wright's done pretty well so far. I just think Samson's got some home run ability that they could really use, especially in a game like that where they weren't getting a lot of help up front. And that's the other thing I wanted to mention. Tennessee's offensive line didn't do those guys many favors. I, I thought – Pass, pass protector pretty well. I, when you look at the – I mean, the, the against, against, football focus against, against, not very Against good. a good front seven. Against a good front seven. Yeah. I thought they passed protected just fine against uh, – relative to how good I think Pitt's front seven is with a bunch of future pros on it. But Pro, pro, pro football focus is not pa- Patrick's favorite grading tool, I know. But um, but I, I do th- – the grades were not very good for Tennessee up front. I thought the run game in particular, they were not very effective. And Pitt gets some of the credit for that. But I think Tennessee's offensive line, I came away from that game last week with the same questions I had kind of going into the season, which is how are they going to match up against top-notch competition? And when they get into some of these big SEC games coming up, like Florida and LSU, that's, that's still going to be the big test for, uh, for Tennessee, in my opinion. They got, they got enough protection to, to keep Hendon Hooker clean most of the game and to win and, and let him make plays, and that's, that's, that's a good step. You don't want to give up sacks all the time. So they, they, they did better in that area. But in the run game, I thought that's where the lack of uh, the lack of movement up front showed up, and they've they've got to they've got to run the ball better against some teams. Let's face it; they're not going to win one dimensionally against uh, against Florida, LSU, teams like that. Last thing I'll say before we move on is that I, I I don't know this for a fact, but I have a suspicion that last week Tennessee didn't necessarily want to play three receivers almost every snap. It didn't just want to play two running backs. I think it wanted to do a couple of other things. But a team that normally starts fast got itself in a ten to nothing hole early, and it was really close to thirteen or seventeen nothing. And I don't think the coaches panicked, but I think they probably tweaked everything and were like, "Now nah, we're going with the main guys here." I, I think they probably they normally get a couple of those guys some you know possession here or there in the first half. And the way that game went early on with the deficit, they just never got a chance to do that. I don't know that, but I just that's my that's my suspicion. I think that's a fair point, but I, I do also think the talk of improved depth and playing more guys uh, has been overblown. I, I just 
I just think like, when you get into a close game, coaches are going to go with what they trust. And uh, I just thought Saturday they showed, I mean, by not really rotating at all with guys like Warren Burrell and Jalen McCullough and Trayvon Flowers, they, they showed what they're going to do. When the game is on the line, they are going to go with the guys they trust. And that's definitely true at receiver too. So I think you're going to see a lot of those starters against Florida, LSU, Kentucky, those types of teams. And until further notice, I'll be surprised if you see them mix in many backups at those positions for anything more than a play or two here or there. Here's another good question, but I think we can probably answer it more quickly. Question from Middle Tennessee Ball 34. Has a freshman defensive lineman Tyree West played yet? And regardless, do you look for him to play against Akron? Yes, West play uh, West, not West. You didn't play West. Yeah. Uh, Tyree West played. <laughs> I maybe could play opener. against Akron. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, Tyree West did play in the second half of the opener against Ball State. He had a tackle and a quarterback hurry. Um, I I think he probably could get some playing time against Akron because I think Tennessee will be up by enough points that they will empty the bench like they did in the first game. I think it, like I say, like a lot of freshmen, he's just going to be one of those guys that probably doesn't play in much more than you know, comfortable leads until he develops a bit more. But, yeah, he's going to keep playing some. Here's a combo question. Shelbyville Vol and Volfan1104 asked very similar questions. So I'll say both of them, but they're essentially the same question. Uh, the one from Shelbyville Vol says, now that you've seen two weeks' worth of games, would any of you change your season prediction for UT's record? And then Vol, Volsfan1104 said, if y'all could go back and redo your season predictions, what are you changing about them, such as overall record or a change to, to a game going from a toss-up to a, to a lean one way or the other type of situation? So those are they're very similar questions. Anything basically that, that would we like to revisit our season prediction record or uh, any particular games that, we still, that, that, are, that we've changed our minds on? Well, yeah, I, I went nine – I went nine and three, so no. Um, uh, I think Tennessee. Uh, it, what has changed through two weeks? I don't know. I probably feel better, maybe, about Tennessee's chances of getting a split in the Florida LSU games, which I think might be the difference in, in eight and four, nine and three. Uh, I probably feel better about their chances against South Carolina. I don't think the Gamecocks have looked very uh, good. Not that I'm surprised by that. Um, necessarily, but I know that's a, a, a tough place to play, and we'll see if South Carolina puts up a fight against Georgia this weekend. But um, you know, Florida has the the big win against Utah. I think comes back down to earth, and and Anthony Richardson looks average at best against Kentucky. Um, and, and that was the thing with him; he, he looked great against Utah. But in this league, the the, the talent and and the coaching is is enough that uh, somebody at some point was going to find a blueprint of like, here's how we stop this guy. And I guess Kentucky did it. Now, can everybody else replicate it? We'll see. Do they have the personnel, all that kind of stuff? We'll, we'll have to, to wait and see. But um, I, I'd probably say no in terms of changing my season prediction. Probably feel a little bit different about a couple of games. And you know, it's still so early, right? I mean, it's been two games. A lot of teams have played maybe one good game and maybe one, you know, game where you can't take anything away from. You know, you look at LSU, we're going to find, you know, they play Mississippi State. Saturday, that's going to be a tough game for them. They also played Auburn before Tennessee goes there, so uh, we'll we'll have a better idea about it. But in terms of nine and three, I think going and winning at Pitt probably took a you know winning one of those toss up games is obviously going to be important for them to get to nine wins. So I'm not going to change mine, or I wouldn't change mine at this point. I I would agree for the most part. I, I don't I haven't seen enough to change my record. I went with eight and four, um, but I I did after one week I. Obviously, when we went and made our, our picks for the Pitt game last week, I, I picked them to beat Pitt after going into the season thinking they might uh, just kind of 
reluctantly picking that as one of the four losses because I didn't know where that fourth loss would come from. Now, if you'd asked me last week, I would have said you, I'm you switching that. Pick, you picked Pitt to beat Tennessee because you didn't want to pick Kentucky to beat Tennessee and feel the wrath of everyone. <laughs> well, I mean, right? if, if – I mean, no, but that's I just I just thought Tennessee at home might win that game, but I I could have seen either of those games being the fourth loss, and I was torn between them, so I just went with the with the pit game because I thought the line of scrimmage matchup would be a bigger concern, uh, maybe than it turned out to be. Um, and it but, almost was, almost was, almost was, but uh, after one week, I wasn't so sure about that. I would have last week I would have switched that fourth loss to Florida. Now, obviously, the Kentucky game makes you rethink that a little bit, but I would say I've gone from a, a lean toward the Tennessee win in that Florida game to thinking that's a complete toss-up. I will say what Kentucky did well to Anthony Richardson, making him throw the ball, is is doable. It's something that other teams will try to emulate, but can you emulate that to the effectiveness that that Kentucky was able to? And, and you know, if you spy him or whatever, do you have a linebacker that can keep up with him? No. And, and will no. Florida do the, more? The, the answer to that is no, I don't think they can. Right, and that's that's where I, I still have concerns about Tennessee. And also, will Florida use him more going forward on design runs? I didn't think they did as much of that against Kentucky. So how do they use, how do they adjust to other teams figuring out a way to slow down Richardson? That'll be a fascinating storyline next week. But I, I still have concerns about Tennessee, Tennessee slowing down Richardson, so I think that's a toss-up game to me. And I would also throw LSU. I, I'd say I've leaned, I've gone from an LSU lean in that one to thinking that's a pure toss-up. Um, being on the road, it's still a tough game, but I think LSU looks at least beatable for Tennessee. And yet at the same time, I don't know if I feel as good about the way Tennessee's playing through two games as I thought I would. So it's it's kind of all a wash to me. Some Some games look more winnable for Tennessee, but on the flip side, Tennessee didn't look quite impressive enough. And Hendon Hooker's not been just so sharp in these first couple games that I feel like they can really go out and, you know, steal a game they're not supposed to win based on that. So, like, I don't know. There's there's a lot of things that kind of offset each other to me, and I would probably still go with eight and four, but just don't know where the all the losses will come from if they go eight and four. Yeah, I'll be brief. I picked eight and four. I'm sticking with eight and four because I have concerns about Tennessee's defense in space. Nothing I saw in the Florida-Kentucky game made me change. I know Kentucky went down there and won but I still like how Tennessee matches up with Kentucky, and I don't love how Tennessee matches up with Florida. It's not about necessarily which team's better than the other. It's about how teams match up with each other, and I think Tennessee will try to spy Richardson because you have to. I don't know that Tennessee's got anyone who athletically can still do that. I think Kentucky had a couple guys who could do that, but I also don't think Kentucky does enough in space offensively to to really outscore Tennessee in a game. So I I still – I'm sticking with those predictions. I, I think Tennessee has not been as sharp as it needs to be offensively, and I think those things will get better, but we'll see. Uh, and defensively, I still don't love Tennessee's defense in space. I think if you want to run the ball right at them, you're going to have trouble doing that. Pitt had almost more than half of its rushing yards on one 76-yard run. It, the rest of the day, it's tough sledding running right at Tennessee. But if you're going to play in space – uh, I think you're going to give them a hard time. So I still, to me, it still looks like an eight and four football team. But that's that's uh, we'll see. I mean, there, there's I, I would lean more toward nine and three than seven and five. But I still see an eight and four football yeah. team. Uh, next uh, question, it, we got. Oh, go ahead, Ryan. I was going to add real quickly. I do think what's happened and the the fact that some of these games look more winnable, uh, and the fact that Tennessee did get by Pitt without getting upset, or yeah, I guess you'd call it an upset. They were favored to win. Um, but the fact they got through that game and now other teams look beatable like LSU, I do think eight and four, if it happens that way, is going to feel more like a disappointment to Tennessee fans. So I, I think the the bar has been raised a little bit. Not so, not because Tennessee's looked so good, 
but because so many games on the schedule now look winnable. So, I, yeah, I'd say my prediction is close to creeping in on 9-3 territory. I'm just not there yet. But the schedule looks very doable, and that sets up a situation where Tennessee really needs to get to nine wins if they can. Next question here. We got, to, I think, maybe one more before we go to break. A question from uh, uh, Roto22 said, uh, do you think we'll ever see a package with Joe Milton at quarterback? If not, how about a package with Milton and Hendon Hooker both on the field? My answer to that is short. Uh, you will see Joe Milton play quarterback if Hendon Hooker is hurt or the game is out of hand. I, I think that's the only way right now that you're gonna that you're gonna see Milton out there, and I don't think you'll see him on the field at the same time. No, I, I would agree. I don't. I don't see a package. They don't need to. Uh, it's not like they need to bring Milton in at the goal line for some short yardage shotgun quarterback runs. Um, that was for US. <laughs> just yeah, these. Get- one day we're going to do an entire podcast on how much short yard shotgun sucks <laughs> they don't need to do that because because hooker is 6'4 220 and, and runs really well uh as a tough runner runs with some power so it's not like they need to have a goal line package like like maybe tennessee's had in the past with yeah. you know aj johnson or Marius crouch um uh, and, and i don't see a need to uh, to put both those guys on the field at the same time because why, unless you're doing a throwback pass, you probably got a guy who could throw a pass that's not a quarterback, which would present more of the element of surprise. If you, if you put another quarterback on the field, if I'm the defense, I'm like, they're probably going to throw it to that guy, and then he's going to yes. throw it. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that happening. Their skill sets are too similar. That's In short, that's the gist of it. And now, now I will say this. I wonder if Tennessee got into a situation where they had to throw a Hail Mary 60 yards or something. Do you put in Joe Milton for that? That I could see. With that effort. I could see. But yeah, otherwise, no. See, that's, I, uh, otherwise, I don't think there's a package a, for Milton. That's a good point, Ryan. Wow. And since Pat said that's a good point, Ryan, we should probably stop this podcast forever. We should just, just end it. Uh, but instead, what we'll do <laughs> delete, is – Delete. Yeah. Delete, put it in the delete, trash. delete. Instead – Kill it with fire. Instead, what we'll do is we'll go away for just a second, pay some bills, listen to products, services, in-house ads, et cetera, and then we'll be right back with more of your questions here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. 
Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever product, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Ryan Callahan coming to you from his home daycare center. And Patrick Brown coming to you from an undisclosed location. We're answering Tennessee football questions today in a mailbag format as we try to do at least once every other week. Doesn't always work out that way, but we try to do that. And we're going to get right back to more of your questions from Go Vols 24-7's checkerboard and social media in just one second. But before we do that, just a quick, quick request from our end, guys. If you could take about a minute out of your day, let's say 60 seconds, 75 seconds, 90 seconds out of your day right now, go in there and rate and review and subscribe to this podcast. We would appreciate that quite a bit. If you're just listening on the website, that's okay. We love you. We still love you. There's no wrong way to consume this podcast. What helps us out the most, though, is if you go in there on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world you can catch the fine pod. You can find this GoVols 24-7 podcast. We do this for free, and we're happy to do it. It's a labor of love. Very, very, very few complaints from our end. You're never going to say no complaints, but very few complaints uh, from our end. Uh, but since we do this for free, I don't think it's too much to ask that you go in there and mash that subscribe button and you rate and review and tell your friends too. Uh, if, if you got a friend, Tennessee fan, I'm sure you do, uh, family members uh, or people that you see at, at church or, or out, out in the park, if you're walking your dog, you, you got buddies that you play golf with, uh, anybody that you see that's a Tennessee fan, just tell them about this podcast. And if you don't have any friends, just, just tell the people around you. And say, I, I wish that you were my friend because I don't have any friends. But if I if I did, uh, I still want to tell you that you should listen to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. If you're already doing all those things, thank you. We love you. If not, I award you no points. And may God have mercy on your soul. Guys, back to the questions. We're going to go to, where? let's see, where were we? I think we're at uh, BGO Snell 151 said, do you think Tennessee has utilized Brew McCoy correctly to this point? And if not, how would you? Uh, I would just give him a few more reps, but uh, a few more chances. But it, it's hard to when you got Tillman on the other side. It's, it's you want to go there a lot, obviously. But I think as the season goes along, you'll see a few more targets McCoy's way. I, I think Brew is exactly where he needs to be. Two games into the season, um, I, I don't think he needed to come in and catch ten balls each in the first two games. Um, he, he made a couple of huge plays uh, against Pitt, the touchdown catch, obviously. I thought the third nine conversion was a great play. Um, that was everything that, that you thought Brew could be in terms of being able to be a tough guy to tackle, picking up some tough yards after the catch. Um, to me, th- these two games have been so different because Ball State played two deep safeties, drop eight. They were keeping everything in front of them. Pitt was like, we're putting seven in the box, throw it against us, see what happens. Um and there, there's going to come a game this season where somebody's going to come and say, all right, we're, we're putting a safety over Tillman and we're going to make somebody else beat us. Um, because you know, some of these teams in the SEC that like to play kind of like Pitt does, or they'll be aggressive on the outside. Somebody will say, Brew, Jalen Hyatt, we're going to make you catch nine passes, 10 passes in a game. That That's where I think uh, where you could see him utilized quote unquote more. Like you said, Wes, if Hendon Hooker sees one-on-one with Tillman, he's going to throw the ball to Tillman. And, and he should, and he should. Right. Uh, but I, I think Brew has been – I think Brew has done exactly what, what you would want to, have wanted him to do in the first two games. Uh, I do think you could see more targets. But, again, this, this offense is so – what they do is so based on what they're getting that uh, if teams are going to play one-on-one and one of those guys – one of those matchups is Tillman, that's going to be your first look. 
I also, I, I'm still think I, I think they're still maybe trying to figure out how to use Jalen Hyatt because a lot of those outs he was catching, especially late in the game against Pittsburgh, those were those were Valus routes. Yeah, I don't know. Jalen's more of a Jalen's more of a take the top off the field. He 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 was open on the one play on the first drive where Hooker missed him. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you see more of that moving forward? Because that's what he can do. And I think there's going to come game. There's going to come a game where somebody is just going to be like, we're somebody else beats us. That's fine. We're not going to let four beat us. Um, and, and that's a game where I think Drew and, and Hyatt could will we'll have to step up and, and really kind of play like a number one receiver, even though Tillman's the number one receiver uh, for this I, team. I agree with pretty much all that. What I was going to say on Jalen Hyatt, that's that's a good point. And I've, I've wondered how that was going to work with him in the slot because he's with the kinds of routes he ran Saturday is often what you're asking a slot to do. You know, they can you can send a slot deep down the field, but that's not necessarily going to be the, the go-to route for him. So I will be interested in how his role sort of evolves throughout the season because I do think that has a big impact on Brew. But I, I agree, you probably don't want to throw it you don't want to throw it his way too, too much those first couple games. Let him get his feet wet. So I, I think he's right on track. But I, I think he's shown enough potential that you you know at this point you could throw it his way and get some real plays. And I, I definitely agree that third and nine play was 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 everything you want Brew McCoy to be. So that's a, that's a good sign for him going forward. I think uh, here's a good question that, that we could probably talk a lot about, but we, we need to go fast so we shouldn't. We need to go Ricky Bobby. Uh, this question from Simpson Vall said, what are y'all's third, fourth, and fifth – best SEC football teams in your current power rankings. I would go probably Arkansas 3, Tennessee 4, Kentucky 5, but that's just um, that that's just off the top of my head. Well, uh, I would definitely go Arkansas 3, and I would go Tennessee 4. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to put Kentucky 5th. They've, they've averaged like 1.8 yards a carry running the ball. Yeah. Uh, they've gotten special teams and defensive touchdowns. I think they will score enough with anybody. Um, to to win some games, I don't want to put Ole Miss there because I haven't played anybody. Um, Where do you put A and M? is not a top five. You can't you can't lose to App State at home and, and be in the top five in the SEC. Okay, sorry, maybe it's my I don't hate the Sun Belt or anything, but um, <laughs> no, but I, I think but that I still I, I still think there's a chance A and M gets back into that top five power ranking by the end of the season, but you can't put them there right now. I'll, I'll I'll just throw Ole Miss in there just because I don't want to put Kentucky in there. Is that fair? Y'all good with that? Doesn't bother me. Uh, if you're going resumes, Kentucky would be in the top five. But I I'll go say I'll go Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky for now. I'm, I'm tempted to put AM in there still, but they just haven't looked that impressive. Damn it! Can I change my, Can I change mine now? Well, now see, I'm validated because I didn't agree with you guys. Oh. So now I'm, I'm even more validated. I Gosh. win, you lose. Here's actually something interesting. We were talking about. Um, you were thinking about A and M's offense uh, and and how predictable they could be at times. Question from Middle Tennessee Vol Thirty Four. Uh, why do you guys think Tennessee stayed so predictable in the pit game on offense? Wouldn't you think an SEC offensive coordinator would have more than ten plays on the call sheet in big games? My answer to that is really quick. It's that Tennessee, uh, the offense is more about. Uh, pace than it is about the the versatility of it. They have versatility, but they usually go fast and they know what they go to and they do what they do and they do it well. And, and also, the the less that you can show early in the season, usually the better. So that, that's my twofold answer on that. I I agree, I agree with your first part. I don't I don't think they're holding back in that game though because that was an important game. I just think it, this offense it's kind of a common misconception about it. It is very much about the pace and not necessarily always that much about the predictability and things like that. Yeah, there's only so many things you can do if you're going to go a million miles an hour. The guys can't get everything. You can't get a bunch of checks made when you're when you're hurrying. I, I didn't I didn't think they were 
predictable. It's Pitt. I don't. Maybe I missed the. No. I missed that part. I don't know. No, I mean everyone. They, they, everyone knew what Nebraska was running back in the day. It didn't matter, did it? I, I don't think this is a situation where like the Titans ran it Sunday on like eighteen of twenty-three first downs with Derrick Henry or something like. I forget the number, but it was like all but five. Like I don't think this is that kind of situation. Like there's predictability, but Tennessee I don't think is that because on first down they don't really have a, a go-to play. No, no, no obvious tendencies like that. So I. I mean, as a fan, you know that certain plays look a certain way, but I don't think Pitt went out there every play thinking Tennessee's going to do this, and they were right. Well, they're going to they're going to do what they do. It's a it, it's sort of a system offense. They're going to have what they have. You guys make good points about the tempo. You're not going to have fifty plays you can run if you're going snap a ball every ten seconds. Um, and, and and again, a lot of this offense is quarterback takes a snap. All right, I got six in the box, hand it off because I got six blockers. Yep. Oh, I've got one-on-one on the outside. I'm going deep. And the receivers are reading, okay, if he's playing off coverage, I'm going to sell like I'm going deep, and I'm hitting the comeback. Like, there's so many reads in this offense that it may look simple or predictable, but they're doing stuff based on what the defense is doing. Now, there, there's creativity. You know, the, the pop pass to, to Jacob Warren was a good creative play. Yeah. Uh, they brought Tillman inside to run a corner route to pick up a first down on third down at one point. Mm-hmm. We don't see a lot of that. Yep. Um, you know, they went under center for a play and of course it got overshadowed because Jalen Wright fumbled, but they went over center West and short yardage converted. I'm interested to see if they do that anymore. Do they hand the ball to Tillman on like the end around at some point, you know, what plays do they have off of what they showed there? So I, I don't know that they were predictable. I think this offense does what it does. And I mean, yeah, the few, the few, the few they didn't have a great day. They didn't have a great day against Pitt, but the numbers speak for themselves on what this offense does and, and what's up in terms of yards and points. Also, they played Pitt four years in a row. This this offense has in terms of of Heifel and Goalish. So the, there's there, these guys know what the other side's doing when those two teams play. That's just has, think of it as a conference game almost. So you just kind of have to get back to doing what you do and do it as well as you can. But I, I every time I watch Tillman, the few times he goes in the slot, I think, man. He's so good. He'd be so good in the slot. He's so good on the perimeter. And I know he had a couple drops in the last game, but goodness gracious, he is he is good. Uh, next question I think we can answer pretty quickly because we did it on our last mailbag to BGO Snow 151. Who on Tennessee staff will be the next head coach somewhere, and who would you choose to replace them if you could pick anyone realistic? I still think it would probably be Golish, uh, and, and I still uh, – I don't know the second part of that question. I, I, he probably could just – make Halsley the offensive coordinator and move on and then find another quarterback coach or find somebody else to coach a different position on the yeah. offense. So I, that's what I would imagine. If he, if he coaches like he did on Saturday, I might go Tim Banks. I, I think, he I think he's going to be head coach know, at some know, point. He is. He is. I know, I know people don't like Tennessee's defense and don't think they played great, but I thought he had a great game plan. I thought they played had a good feel for when and where to bring pressure a lot of times. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I think he's a guy that, that could be a head coach somewhere. Who would they bring in as defensive coordinator? I don't know. I just hope the search is not as convoluted as the last one was. Uh, that, that's almost <laughs> my exact answer. I was, my answer I, before I, the season was Banks uh, because I think he's, he's going to be able to make a name for himself. I still, I still have questions about whether Golish is going to get the credit for Tennessee's offense to the point that he will be a head coach candidate. But, unless he recruits, it's a place. but he recruits really well too, which I think is a factor. Hey, but he, if if there's somewhere like Iowa State that he's been before, that might be the exception. Having having previous experience at a school can change that. But if he's if it's some school that he's never been at before, I just wonder if Golish will get enough credit. If he may have to go somewhere on his own where he's known for running the show offensively, 
before he can get that head coaching job. But he has head coach material for sure, I agree. Um, but I would go toward Banks maybe being the next one if one of these guys is going to get a head coaching opportunity at their next job or something. I think Banks is the, the most likely candidate as of right now. I'd give them a slight edge. I just don't know who they would replace him with because, like you said, Patrick, that last search was maybe Tennessee's most complicated, and there's not an obvious candidate internally to, to be promoted or anything. And there's probably a lot of things that can happen between now and when the hiring and firing process could yeah. pick That's, up. Maybe a head coach that has a defensive background is available and you can get him. Uh, you never know. Next question, Law Law Vol Reb uh, said, has, Hendon, has Hooker's occasional off throws or similar struggles so far been more a forcing it thing or a technique thing? Uh, early season problems for him, question mark. Uh, I want to be talked off the ledge that this isn't a 2016 season all over again with issues that we ignored early that year that came back to the team later. I will tell well, you quickly that Hooker's issues on the bad throws are footwork, 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 footwork. That's what Tennessee had to fix when he came for Virginia Tech. Sometimes he he slips on a little bit and he kind of go, reverts back to getting some sloppy footwork. When his feet are right, he doesn't miss throws usually. Well, I, I'm surrounded by a couple of Hendon Hooker, Hinder, Hinden Hooker haters. That is so <laughs> patently false that it yeah, should be corrected immediately. Uh, I think Hendon is a victim of his own success because anytime he doesn't go out there and throw for 350 yards and run and pass for five touchdowns and all these things, he's not – what's wrong with him? First of all, to answer this question, this is not 2016 all over because Butch Jones is in Jonesboro, Arkansas. He's far, far away from this program. <laughs> That was the biggest problem with that team was okay. the head coach uh, uh, on down. When when you lie when you lie to everybody all the time, eventually you're going to have serious problems and the whole thing's going to fall apart. That 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 program going into that season was so tight from top to bottom, and you saw it in the first five games where they yeah. got by on the skin of their teeth and the brilliance of Josh Dobbs and some of the players they had. I'll take the blame for that because I brought up that analogy, and I only meant it in the sense not that this team's going to have the same problem. Oh, I, I, I can blame team, you, Ryan. You yeah, yeah. He, he, he did. Just blame you. He did. He did wet I'm, blanket the whole thing. He he. I brought he, this he, up on Monday. Job, he, he super soaked that blanket. He put it under yeah, the hose for a while and just threw I it said, over everybody. Thanks for listening to that podcast, Patrick. But no, I, but, but I I did bring up that I thought. I did wonder if That's if this wet blanket Callahan right if there. this yeah. if this game might be similar to say the 2016 App State game where you saw some concerns early in the season and there were things that maybe showed up later in the year. But I agree that team's issue was chemistry and other things like that later in the season. This team I don't think has any of those issues. It's just the point was when there are heightened expectations and you have veterans back, sometimes it doesn't automatically add up to everything you saw the year before or an improvement on that. Sometimes things are more complicated the second year for whatever reason. And with a lot of veterans back, you don't find the same magic in some ways that you had a year ago, but it's way too early to say that. I just, I wondered that Saturday when you saw that offense struggle a bit in the second half, do they maybe have trouble duplicating their offense, uh, offensive success against some of these tougher teams on the schedule? Ryan also, Go, wants, you going know, back to Ryan, Ryan also wants you to know that you're going to have to pay taxes and that you're all going to die someday. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let me get us back on track. Going back to Hooker, he does need to clean up some things. He has, he has had some high throws, but uh, again, I think he and, and maybe the same a little bit with Tillman that you know, the guy goes out and has nine for 162 in the game winning touchdown against a really good defense, against a tough matchup, against cornerbacks that were in his face all day and, and draped all over him all day. And we're like, well, he had two or three or four plays that he didn't make. Let's, you know, the, the, we expect some, sometimes we expect some of these guys to be so perfect based on what they've done in the past. We expect Tennessee's offense to score 45 points a game because what they've done in the past that 
you know, it's like coach coaches say, and Heupel said it, it's not perfect all the time. Hooker does need to clean some things up. Tillman needs to not draw passes. But sometimes stuff happens. Um, and, and, and if you go back to Hooker's game uh, against Pitt, he had 325 yards and two touchdowns with no semblance of a running game. I don't and 20, 27 of 42. Yeah. The, right. the, I don't, the, the difference he I doesn't see, need to be throwing it 42 times a game. Is yeah. That's not what he needs to be doing. He got very little help from his offensive line protecting him, his running backs running the ball. Um, you know, they, they he had to go out and win that game, and I think he did. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I just um, – where was I going with this? I'm like Michael Scott. Sometimes I'm going somewhere with this, and I had a good point. I don't know where it is. Um, but, like – yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I do think he needs to clean some things up. But oh, go! I got. I remember it now. Got it. Got it. If 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 Tillman makes three of those plays, he probably has four hundred yards passing. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and you know he missed the one to high. I think the one he missed deep to Tillman that would have been a touchdown. I think that's because Tillman was gassed. I think a full speed start of the drive, Tillman probably runs under that ball. He, he did. Because Tillman went he, right he, after that game, went tapped, right out after yeah, that play. He tapped his helmet immediately. The thing that I'll say really right. quickly, and this is not a criticism at all of Hendon Hooker, it's just I, I think when you look at his game, when you look at the guys in the NFL like your your Aaron Rodgers and especially your, your, your Pat Mahomes and your Josh Allens, those guys can make any throw from any angle at any time. I think and those guys miss throws too. They do, but, yep. but but my point is comparing when you think about what Hooker does when you watch him, when Hendon Hooker is on platform, he almost never misses a throw he's supposed to make. I think he's just not elite in terms of throwing off platform. Like even when he scrambles a little bit, once he sets his feet, um, like he did with the throw to Tillman at the end of, in overtime, there he was scrambling a little bit, but he still set his feet, threw it right where it needed to be, perfect throw to under to undercut it and give Tillman a chance to make that play. Um, but when, when Hooker sometimes gets a little bit off off balance or off kilter, his throws go astray. And that's like most quarterbacks. It's just we, we see guys like Mahomes and Rodgers do it now, and we think like everybody can do that now. No, not everybody can do that at that level. That's why those guys are freak shows. It's hard to find those guys. But that that's – that's my thought on that, and we'll move on yeah. here because we we got to move on. Uh, we've yep. answered this a little bit, so we can be we got to go start lightning around here in a little bit. But uh, Tardis fall Tardis two ninety eight had a good question um, that we've already answered a little bit, so we can go quickly. There was a lot of talk about depth of wide receiver all off season, but when it came down to it, the starters had all of the catches at Pitt. What do you make of that, and do you see that changing for important games, or do you think they'll just keep relying on the three primary guys? Well, I I, I think, think they'll keep relying on those. Yeah, I, I did too, Ryan. I, Alex Kolish <laughs> came out Tuesday and basically said, like, we knew we were going to have to win that game on the outside, and so we wanted to stick with the guys who we trusted. Uh, I think it was probably a lesson that they took from last season when early in the year they played some guys that maybe weren't ready. Um, remember, it wasn't until the Missouri game that they really locked into Tillman, Bayless, and Javante Payton. Um, and I think going into the season, they felt pretty good that it, their, their top three were going to be Brew, Tillman, and, and Jalen Hyatt. And they were like, we're going to roll with these guys. We're not going to put Callaway out there. We're not going to put Squirrel White out there. We're not going to put Keaton or, or Holiday or uh, or Walker Merrill out there because we've got our guys and we need to go win the game with these guys. So uh, I would say it was a lesson that they learned from what happened early last season that to, to when you have guys you trust, just roll with them and, and go from and, and live with the results. I still think that that guys like Keaton and Merrill will make a couple of big catches throughout the year. I don't know if it'll be because because some guys out for just a couple of plays and it's random or some guy gets hurt for a little bit. I just think those two guys in particular at some point this season 
are going to make a couple of plays that, that matter. But but we'll see. I mean, these guys, the MO's out now. They go with the guys that, that they trust. Uh, question, we, we try to be quick about this. Peace Rule 19, after seeing two weeks of football now, how would you rank Tennessee's conference matchups hardest to easiest? Uh, I'll go hardest, Georgia, then Alabama, yeah. then LSU, then Florida, then Kentucky, then South Carolina, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. Uh, that's pretty similar to me. I would probably put Florida ahead of LSU just because of the history of things there um, and because I still think Anthony Richardson's a terrible matchup for Tennessee to deal with. So uh, even though he was bad against Kentucky, I would still, because of history, that's. but other than that, I'm, I'm pretty much right there with you, Pat. I, I would agree. I, I'm, I'm actually in, interested you put Georgia ahead of Bama. I'm not sure it matters. They're clearly one and two. But I, I would maybe lean toward Bama just because I think they still, even though what they did last week what they did, they still might be uh, capable of just winning a shootout no matter what. Alabama's not been good on the road, though, for going on over a year now. They, had, they escaped at, at Texas, escaped at Auburn, lost at A&M. They were, that Florida game went down to the wire. The only game in the past two so years so far that they've won convincingly on the road was Mississippi State. No, I'm not saying they're going to beat. I'm not saying this is going to be Alabama. <laughs> I'm set alert. I'm just saying they've looked vulnerable on the roads. All I'm saying, and so that's yeah. why I also think Georgia's looked better so far this season. I mean, they, I, I think Oregon could be pretty good. Georgia just ran them off the field. No, Tennessee on the road. I agree. Georgia's the toughest game. Uh, I, I would go Georgia, Alabama. Basically, I, I agree with Wes as much as I hate to do that. I would go Florida yeah, ahead I of need, LSU. I, I got to change my answer again. Because of the because of the matchup with Richardson and LSU, I, I think if Tennessee gets into a scoring match with LSU, they can win that game. Uh, LSU, I'm not sure they can keep up if it gets high scoring. We got Chicago Vol one five. We only have two rules about our questions, and he broke one of them. You're supposed to have one per post, and you're also supposed to uh, not talk politics or religion. He only broke rule number one, but he he put five in one thread. But a lot of them are really good questions, so we're we're gonna ignore the fact that you broke the rules, and we're gonna get to them because they're good questions. But we got to go quickly. Uh, first question: What's Hendon Hooker's draft? ceiling i see him uh, mocked in rounds five two through seven i kind of agree with nfl scouts on this what do y'all think uh i think fourth round might be the ceiling yeah. I'd, I'd be shocked if it's over the fifth round personally i think he i think he still could go undrafted i, I think there are limitations on his nfl ceiling and I, I would agree his game is better suited for college but i think he could sneak into the late late rounds but I, I just, I'll be shocked if he goes higher than fifth round. You, you, I, I, ask, you I, ask about the ceiling, and, and Ryan points out where his floor could be. Yeah, I think the ceiling is, <laughs> I think the ceiling is four or five because I still think there's a chance that when you sit down and talk to him, he's just a kid that you can fall in love with if you're not careful. And I think because of that, I think someone's going to want him in their organization. Now they, they might want him as an undrafted free agent, but but they might go, well, a lot of guys are off the board. We need a quarterback. I trust this kid. Let's take this kid. So I, I could see that, but he's still got to improve some things uh, in his game if he wants to to, to be higher than that. Um, but he's a great college quarterback, and Tennessee's really damn lucky to have him. Uh, next question, pretend Joe Milton plays the rest of the year. What's your adjusted record prediction? I like that one. Uh, I, I would stick – well, i pick nine and three. I'd probably just drop eight and four just to, just to account for it. I agree, but I, I, I'm I'm fascinated by what would happen if that if it played out that way because he played so well in the opener that I, I wonder could he do that over the long haul or was that just a small sample size against a not great opponent? I, I, I want to see him play more, but I think he could be better this year. So I, I don't know that it would change significantly, but I, I probably would drop one win. 
I think that it, it, I would probably keep it about eight and four, and the reason is I think at first there might be some some rough sailing there. But if you, I, I, I'm still a believer that if you had to rely on Joe Milton, and you and you, he knew that you had to rely on him, and he didn't have the pressure of of maybe losing his job. I think he could be so damn good. Uh, that I think that ability is there in him. So I think they they could maybe struggle a little bit at first, and then maybe win a game you didn't expect because I I still. I might look foolish on this, but I just still think that the upside to that guy, uh, if you just let him work through some mistakes, is just astronomical. But that's just my opinion. Uh, Question three, how much does uh, Coach Garner work with uh, Young, Barron, and Harrison and the other edge rushers, and how much of that coaching is done by Eckler? I see them more with Garner when we're out there in practice, but we don't see the whole practice. We see nothing this time. I'd say it's a group effort. Probably – I mean, in season, it's probably a lot with Garner because when when Eckler's running special team stuff, those guys I don't think are involved. So, uh, next question. I, I think I, I think it's I guess I think it's more Garner personally. I, I think Eckler works with them some, but I think I think Garner and and some of the guys that help with the D line, they're the ones that mostly work with those guys. I would agree. Uh, next question: Why would any Tennessee fan ever hope for a nine game SEC schedule? It would be brutal. I'll say this: No matter what you feel, that's what it's going to be. That's where it's going. That's almost set in stone at this point, um, and I also think that Tennessee does not does not need to be a program that operates in fear. If you operate in fear, you're done before you even go out there and play the game. You're Tennessee. Go out there like you have a pair and go win some football games. That's what I think. I I, I generally agree with the question though because I don't think Texas and Oklahoma being added to the conference helps Tennessee. I don't think a bigger SEC schedule helps Tennessee. But you, I think you just uh, I don't think you can operate in fear though. I think you have to yeah. go out there and and say you're by God you're Tennessee. Your history is as good as pretty much anyone's but Alabama's in this league. So go, go win football games. I would agree with uh, maybe Ryan um, on this one. Cause if you're Tennessee and the options are, you can play Alabama every year or you can not play Alabama every year. I'm picking the schedule that doesn't have me playing Alabama. Every year. Here's that, the exciting that, part. That's, to Tennessee that's fans. fair. I just think you have to, the, the mindset's got to change within the program of thinking like, well, it's, we're not, it's not we're, about fear. It's about logistics. Yeah. Like if you, if you're trying to win the sec East and you, play Alabama every year when the rest of the division does well, it. But it can go to That's pods a or whatever in the future. Yes. We don't know exactly what the future is going to be when they when they add teams and, and what that's going to do to scheduling and the league championship game. I don't really know exactly how they're going to handle all of that. But, yes, I mean, you logistically you would rather not play Alabama every year, but also, you know, your Tennessee. Wes I wants, think to, you should West wants to, to act tough but have a loss, <laughs> a one loss automatic every year. Well, Saban's not going to co- yeah. coach until he's 100 years old. That's where I was going with this. So if Tennessee gets the three permanent opponents, let's say it goes with that format, 3-6 format, and Tennessee gets the three permanent opponents that I think make the most sense, Alabama, Vandy, Kentucky, yeah. this could be a plus for Tennessee because Georgia falls off the schedule every year. And Florida, and Florida even falls off the schedule every year. So some years it but would. But they do if you go to eight, and your one is Vanderbilt too, though. So right, but in that they, case but, you get Florida, Georgia, and Bama off the schedule every year. Yep. So I, I I think this could work out better for Tennessee in some years. It just it's going to depend on how how the rotation works. But I think getting Georgia off the schedule is every bit as big as getting Bama off the schedule. Because Nick Saban's going to retire at some point. Kirby Smart doesn't have to. He's young. He's not going anywhere for a while if he doesn't want to. And Georgia's not going anywhere. And Nick this, is a robot. He's not going anywhere. This, he just signed a deal through like 2030. This is crazy. His last question is so good. We have to answer and we got to go fast, but my God, it's a really good question. It's a chef's kiss to this one. Who is Florida's backup quarterback and will he beat Tennessee with his arms or his legs? 
I think it's Jack Miller. He's uh, it's Jack Miller. He's a transfer from Ohio State, and I think it's his arms. Yeah, it's start just, what a start doing your prep prep work on him. That's cool. a great question. What a great I like freaking that. question. Uh, he goes uh, okay. Now here's another one uh, from uh, from Tardis to ninety eight said. Y'all have touched on this in other podcasts, but can you give any more detail on why do you think we aren't seeing Brandon Turnage? I believe in camp he was always mentioned as the most talented guy and was expected to be a big factor. One word or two words, trust, consistency. Until those things happen, you're not going to see him unless somebody gets hurt. Consistency, and I think I think physicality sometimes is a concern with him, but mostly just consistency. And I, I do wonder if we see him at some point in the not-too-distant future. I don't know that they're ready to throw him of out course, there in a not, big role. But. You know, now you've got a Tennessee fan punching the steering wheel saying, Warren Burrell's not ever consistent either. I know, I know. Hey, I, I'm I'm more on that side than I am on the other side. I'm not fighting for Warren Burrell to stay in there. I'm just saying I, I think that's where the staff is with him. I do think it's get, getting closer to the point, though, that they at least try out turnage in, in some situations. This Saturday is a perfect chance to see what he can do, see if he might be able to surprise you. Maybe maybe he's coming along a little bit since camp, but he didn't have a great camp, and I think he's having to work his way back from that. Even if you took Burrell out of the equation, I still think Christian Charles and even possibly even D. Williams would be ahead of Turner at this point. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's a good question. Got a couple more, and then we get out of here. I, I can answer this one really quickly. Uh, Eleven loved the ball, said, Wes, what would you do to make Hank so angry this morning? I don't know. I think it's probably that he got – his um, flu and COVID vaccines at the same time because the doctor wanted him to do that. But I think his body's just revolting from that. That would be my guess because I, I think I'm a, the dad of the year, but that's just my personal opinion. MC Vol 45 said, there are a lot of guys Tennessee's recruiting uh, and Tennessee's in the recruitment, but not quite the favorites to land them in the end. Over-under is one, which first off, over-unders need to be at 0.5 or 1.5. But anyways, the question is over-under one, uh, ending up at Tennessee uh, from Roderick Robinson, Carnell Tate, Tamarion Parker, Lucas Simmons, Samuel and Pemba. Ryan, the over-under there, he said at one. So, again, you yeah. can push that bet. But do you think – what would you say Tennessee's chances to get any of those five? I would say the, a push is the ceiling. I don't see Tennessee getting two of those guys. I – I, th- I would lean under right now. I, I'm not saying that it's not possible. They, they, they could get Parker. They could maybe pull the upset or, or the shocker on someone like Tate, but I, I think at best Tennessee's getting one of those guys, and even that would be a bit of an upset. Uh, just a couple more before we get out of here. Uh, from Brick H said, do you all think Kentucky's defense is that good, or do you think a- Anthony Richardson has consistency issues? I just think Kentucky had athleticism at linebacker to be able to spy him successfully and make him throw, and that changed that game in, in a lot of ways. And I don't know that Tennessee has those kind of guys at linebacker to do that consistently. That's my concern. Disagree. Disagree. Anthony Richardson has consistency issues. First full year as a starter, new offense. New oh, I, I agree with that one. A lot, part. Of, a lot of new targets. I, I, you, yeah. you would expect him to – it's also been in his nature that in the past to be a little up and down. So uh, I, I think those, that's a lot of the reasons why uh, – mm-hmm. those are my reasons for saying it's the latter, not the former. That's why he wasn't the starter going into last year. He wasn't consistent enough. So I, I agree. There are consistency concerns there. Tennessee's got to hope they catch him on the right day. Uh, a couple more. Casval 31 said that uh, – we've already answered this question more or less, but it said – uh, I'm more concerned about McCullough at, at safety than Burrell at corner. Do you think a guy like Wes Walker could take uh, could take some of his snaps at safety? In my opinion, Walker's one of the top five DBs along with McDonald, and both should be on the field. Walker has an extra gear that some of the other safeties do not have. Also, Jordan Thomas looks good on kickoff coverage. Could he get in the mix? My answer is uh, that they are going to ride with McCullough as long as they possibly can. 
But yes, I do think that Walker and McDonald both could be two of their best five defensive backs. And I do absolutely freaking love Jordan Thomas down the road. I don't know if you'll see him yet, but I love that kid, uh, his potential moving forward because he is big and athletic and rangy and can hit. I like a lot of the things about him, but I think they're going to ride with McCullough as long as they can. I'll go quickly on Thomas. I, I would let him run down and be hell on special teams. Freshman year, I wouldn't throw him in there too much out of mop-up duty here and there. Yeah. Um, with Walker, we talked to him the other day, and he noted that when he got hurt, he, he was working at both safety spots and star. Uh, when he came back, they didn't really have him working too much at safety. I wonder if that changes because um, I think he can't help there, and, and I do think he's one of their best defensive backs, and, and I think McDonald's been fine too to start the season. So um, that will be something to watch, I think, moving forward. Uh, but, yeah, that's – that's my take on that. It hasn't changed this week either from what I've been told. Still not working Walker at safety. So if they had to put somebody else in there in a pinch, it would probably be Danico Slaughter. And so I don't, I don't think they're likely to make a change there anytime soon. I know that disappoints fans, but maybe I think that's where the they open are. Date. Maybe, maybe. Theoretically. I, now, I, I will say this. I think McDonald, he had the pick in the first game that was kind of thrown in right in his area code, but I I think he's got to step it up a little bit. I think Wes, I think Wesley Walker's starting to chase him down a little bit, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if he eventually takes that starting job, just maybe a few a little while down the road, but I think Walker's playing well. And uh, math, uh, this guy's helped us pronounce his name now. He says, uh, Mathal's 14. I believe is that he said he said I pronounced to go with the long A sound on the second syllable, but you can pronounce it however you want. Ha ha ha. Which team's stock in the SEC has risen for you in the past two weeks, along with which teams have fallen? I think Arkansas has improved uh, and could challenge Bama, while LSU seems like it may not be as good as we thought. Arkansas is definitely – I don't know if the stock's risen. It's just that people forget about Arkansas. But that team, K.J. Jefferson, criminally underrated. They're just, they're just good. Like, I don't know if they're special enough to go beat, like, Bama or Georgia, but I think they're pretty clearly right now the third-best team in the well, league. Well, they, they they played Alabama to the wire at Tuscaloosa last year, and, and Alabama goes there, and Alabama's had issues playing on the road. So maybe they, you know, I, I picked Arkansas second in the West in, in, in the preseason poll, so I'm I'm feeling pretty good about that. Uh, if there's one that's fallen, hey, I might man. go South Carolina. Yeah, I mean, well, A and M has to be the A and M one, but then yeah, South Carolina. Although I think a lot of us, I don't know, was it Ryan? Which one of us, or was it Granter? Who was it that that actually started to buy into the South Carolina stuff? Because I, I know I didn't. I know Pat didn't. Did somebody? I, was it you, Ryan, or who? who I started them? to I started to buy into Rattler a little bit. I never thought they were going to win more than. I thought they, I never thought they're going to win more than six or seven games. I just thought they'd be a tough out. Um, but yeah, they, they've been oh. disappointing so far. Rattler has spent the most of the first two games running for his life. So, yep. uh, and, and he's going to be running for his life against Swords on Saturday. So, last question. Um, yeah, that that's a team. Well, I mean, that's a team. They beat Georgia State because they blocked two punts. They didn't beat them because of offense. And then uh, Arkansas was a mismatch. They just ran it right at him. So, Texas uh, A&M for me. Well, A&M has to be the obvious choice. But I think a, yep. I think South Carolina hasn't looked. They haven't matched some of the hype that everybody thought. Jane, you know, Shane Beamer was. Second coming of Frank Beamer, I guess. Last yep. last question here from a Brick H said, from a development standpoint, what position what position groups are underperforming through two weeks based on preseason expectations? Running Negative back. question at the end. I love it. Yeah. I would agree with running back. Yeah, uh, maybe um, we'll see, we'll see about offensive line. I think Pitt gets a lot of credit for what last week showed, but I, I think there's at least the potential that the offensive line is very similar to what we saw last year. Although with the exception that I think Gerald Mincy's played relatively well and has run away with that job pretty quickly. So that's a good sign. But overall, I'm still not sure Tennessee's offensive line has taken a big step forward from last year, what? which you would like to see with a lot of veterans back. 
Wes is, Wes is going to pick. Wes is going to pick quarterback. No, I'm actually not. I think running back is the pretty obvious answer. But I will say, when you look at when you look at defensively, uh, it's not a position group; it's a player. I think Jeremy Banks needs to play better. Uh, I think he needs. I agree. And I don't. Agreed. I don't know that if he's ever if he's. I know he could play an extra year technically if he wanted to, so maybe he would. But 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 he's played some football now. He's been there a while. It, it, he needs to be a little more consistent. There's things I think he it, could do that he needs to do. It's going to be an interesting dynamic. With Juwan Mitchell coming back, it could be Saturday. Because Beasley, I think, I, I, I assume the staff would say this. I know anybody watching the games would say this. The Beasley has been better than, Jay, than yes, Jeremy Banks. There's no question mm-hmm. in my mind. Two games. No question. But, our, our, you know, so is Juwan Mitchell, when he comes back, is he going straight to the starting lineup? Whose spot is he taking? Who is he taking snaps away from? I think that could be an interesting dynamic moving forward. I agree, Agreed. and I think that is a good place to leave it, guys. Th- thank you to everyone who sent in questions. Uh, we tried to get to all of them. We might not have, but I think we, we mostly did, at least a little bit. Um, went a little bit over schedule, but you know, mail mailback editions just kind of this is what happens every time we do a mailbag. So that's just life. So, guys, Pat, Ryan, unless you got anything else, I think we're at a good spot. Uh, good questions, everybody. Appreciate the input. Yes, love the questions. Good job, everyone. Thanks. Everyone except Ryan. Agreed. Everyone, Agreed. Everyone yep. and, Wes, and Wes, you improved after the after the intro. So good job. <laughs> you got better from week one to week two. Yeah. You took you took care of business in your Akron game. Yeah. Zippity doo zippity day. Let's end this <laughs> podcast. See ya. There's that button, and now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols twenty four seven podcast, guys. Thank you, thank you for listening. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For listening, you can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24 7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P Brown 24 7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24 7 on Twitter. And Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. You can also go uh, to twitter.com slash govals 24 7 and facebook.com slash govals 24 7 to get all of the stuff there, or most of the stuff there. We got stuff on there that we update throughout the day, all day, every day. Tons of stuff on there. All good stuff. But if you want that best, most delicious, that sparkling, delicious, crystal clear East Tennessee Smoky Mountain Spring Water right from the tap, go directly to GoBalls247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets to get coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball coverage. We cover Tennessee baseball better than anybody out there. We got that for you. We got Lady Vols coverage with award-winning Maria Cornelius, who covers all things Lady Vols for us. You also get administration news. Basically, anytime anything happens over there at the University of Tennessee, we bring it to you at GoVols247.com. We also have two forums that run around the clock, the Checkerboard and the Summit, where you can go and discuss uh, anything you want that is not political or religious in nature, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we will be there to discuss it with you. Just about one of us is up just about all the time, at least, so you can go in there and do that. And you can get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month, and that's after a free trial, and that's always. A lot of times we have better deals than that, but at least we have the seven-day free trial, and then you can start paying us. And when you start paying us, again, which is less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month, if you do that, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, which is the streaming arm of CBS, Viacom, Paramount, all of it. Get all of it right there. And it's, I mean, you got stuff, brand new movies, exclusive movies, exclusive shows, 
You get stuff from the vaults of uh, Smithsonian, Nickelodeon, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, all of it. And obviously everything CBS has ever done commercial free. That's a $100 plus annual value that we'll put in your pocket for nothing. For nothing. So we're giving you several hundred dollars worth of stuff for less than 100 bucks a year. Guys, that is an unbelievable deal. So please, this is a great time. Go take advantage of that now. Uh, if you haven't heard from us uh, from a couple days, there's been a problem. We should be back here uh, in, in a couple days or so. You'll hear from us very, very shortly. Until then, guys, be good to each other. Be decent to each other. Please, there's not nearly enough of that in our world anymore. God, we are so mean to each other. Have some basic human empathy. Allow people their dignity. Try to be kind. Be good to each other. Until then, be good, guys. See you. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.